Welcome to another episode of Coder Conversations. This is Kevin. We have Sean, and we also have special guest Raja Krishna. Welcome, Raja. Thank you. <laughs> I wanted to be on one of these podcasts for a long time, honestly. Oh, yeah. Is this your first time? Yes, this is my first time. Yeah, glad to have you on, man. So, yeah, can you uh, tell us a little bit about yourself? Like, what kind of technologies have you been using? How did you get into technology? Okay. Uh, I've been using React since two or three years right now. I've used React, and at my new company, like my current company, I've used TypeScript, used Python, like in the back end a little bit. In my personal projects, I try to use Python, like whenever I'm like web scraping or something. But it's mostly front end, like CSS, you know, JavaScript, React.js, Next.js, like one of the frameworks, I guess. Got it. Um, how did how did you learn programming? Did you go to school or did you teach yourself? Okay, that's kind of okay. So, in my bachelor's, I was doing electronics and communication. That's what it's electronics. So mm. we had some few of the programming classes. We had C. I think that was in my first year. We had like C language and we had Java in my fourth year, probably. And I mean, I didn't learn much in there. <laughs> it was just like a semester, so I didn't learn much. But I tried to learn it myself. Like I learned HTML and JavaScript a little bit. But when I came to do my master's, that's when I actually started learning. Like in the first semester of my master's, they were like, here you go, build a, I think he was trying to build a draw, uh, Dropbox API, build a Google Maps API, use JavaScript to do this, this, this. Then I had to like start learning all this. React, I learned it on my own. Got it. So did you have like a imposter syndrome, like when first uh, coming into contact with these new technologies? Yes. I thought I wasn't good. I thought like, hey, like everybody else is doing it. Like when I first started JavaScript, like everybody else was like writing quick, quick, quick. I was like, it was just plain JavaScript. It wasn't even some of one of the frameworks or PHP or whatever. So it kind of hit me hard, at least in my first semester, since, hey, I'm doing masters in computer science. I have to know at least one of the languages in here. So. I, that's when I think when I touched Python, that's when it got kind of easier. I'm like, okay, this is what coding is. Like it's kind of getting easier for me. And when I started looking at YouTube videos and I'm like, okay, these people, senior developers also make the same mistakes that I do. Yeah. Even they can't center a dev just like me. So it, it kind of got easier, but it's still kind of there with me. It's always yeah. there. It's always hanging out behind me. So, so like, how do you keep it under control? Uh, how do you avoid like? I don't think I can fully ever control it, but mm -hmm. I can get better at. I can bet better at my programming. Like most of the times, it's I get it when I find an error in my code. Like I have an mm -hmm. error in my code and I can't fix it. And I try and try, I can't fix it. But I. Um, reach out to another developer and he just fixes it just like this in like two seconds it's like oh this is this and i'm like oh maybe i should have thought of that one like why didn't i think of that one it was very easy for it you know i'm trying to get better at like debugging these errors for me at least 
Do you have any tips, Sean, on uh, how to help them improve debugging? Honestly, <laughs> my secret is to ask someone for help, uh, particularly someone online, because invariably, by the time they respond, I've already, like, there's just something about me asking mm. that uh, causes me to realize what the answer is. That, I say that funny, but it's so true. That happens. Like, and also, I think like most developers have this that they don't reach out to people. Like mm -hmm. they're like, oh, if I reach out to this person, like he's gonna think that I don't know nothing. I don't, you know, I didn't even know this small thing. But you should probably reach out to other people. Like I reach out to my senior developer probably every day because the more I learn from him, the less I have to reach out to him. There's no shame yeah. in that either. Yes. Like we all learn from somebody and. I used to tell my junior developers, uh, not here as a CTO, but at other companies, that uh, find the smartest person in the room and learn from them. You do what they do, you'll get the same results. And I mean, that's pretty much like how you get better. One of the ways. I've seen a, I forgot the name of the YouTube. Um, so, so that person, I think he works at Twitch, his senior developer at Twitch or staff engineer at twitch or something i forgot his name on youtube but he was like telling in a youtube video that he reaches out to junior developers and ask uh, ask them to ask at least 15 stupid questions to him mm. in the one week or two weeks ask 15 stupid questions like you're allowed to do this and i'm like okay that's that's how people grow like that's how all these junior developers grow by asking these questions Exactly. It's neat that you can, because I started in the 80s, and there was no internet at all. And there was mm -hmm. no YouTube, there was no Twitch, there was no coding conversations. It was just, you could buy a book at, or rent a book at a, at a library, and maybe there was a periodical. But your ability to learn how to code was so limited, and it was hard to get answers. So... Uh, I have a tinkerer's heart just because from when I started, I had to tinker. I don't see as much of that these days. A lot of people tend to get like frustrated, like, you know, like I can't think of something, maybe I'm not good enough or I'll just Google it or they give up too easily. But, uh, you know, it's those tinkerers that invent things and, and do really, really interesting stuff that we all like to use and things like that. But now we're in the day of YouTube, internet, mentors, and all that stuff. I mean, milk it. Mm -hmm. You learn you learn better through help than you do through struggle. So, Roger, like, how do you keep uh, on top of your skills? Like, what what courses or what platforms do you use to stay on top of your learning? Honestly, like, I stay top of it just by my code base that I have right now. Our code base, like I came from a code base. I mean, I came from different repos. Like we had different repos, like in my previous job, we had different repos, but in my current job, like since it's a startup, I have to do a lot of other things. Hmm. Like I may tell you that I'm a, I'm a front end engineer, but I had to work on Stripe. I had to work on like, you know, the signature, hello sign. I had to work on Twilio. Like there are a lot of other things that it they're literally like growing me instead of me actually reaching out and like you know looking at all these videos i'm actually looking learning at the company like mm -hmm. uh, on production level i guess even though it's not in broad but 
Yeah, that is uh, true about startups. You have to wear a lot of hats. Uh, isn't that the same for you, Sean? Yeah, for sure. There's no one hat person anywhere in a until you have about 30 people, everybody's doing everything. So how, how do y'all manage like all of the um, the complexity? I know um, it can get overwhelming having to wear all these different hats. How do you avoid getting overwhelmed? You don't. <laughs> you deal with it, huh? <laughs> um, a lot of it is, you know, I don't know about how, how Raja's approach, is it Raja? Raja, I don't know, like we all, everybody, it's a personal thing. We all have a different approach. Uh, the way I do it is um, I know if I get interrupted in the middle of something that it'll just never get done because it takes me so long to task switch back in. Mm -hmm. So what I do is I focus on one thing, but I break it into steps, like step one, step two, step three, like these three different iterations is the completion of it. But if I get step one out, then I can switch to something else and then come back and do step two. And that's actually the main way that I, I deal with it. How about you, Roger? How do you uh, kind of manage that? So we talked about this a lot in my company while we were starting out. Like this was like a few months back. Like we had we had a lot of things happening at the same time. Like mm -hmm. developers were doing this, documentation, this, like researching this topic, that topic. I think it all came down to, for me at least, it all came down to talking to the managers about this or somebody at the top that, hey, I can't be switching. Switching takes me hours. Mm -hmm. Like I go from like writing React to I go from researching Stripe. It's like it takes me one hour to actually like disconnect myself from this, go to that, then again disconnect myself from that and come back to this. And the, that's a waste of company's time. Yeah. So it's like, if I'm working on something, I'm working on that thing. Like, I don't try to move. Uh, obviously, like, sometimes I, I do have to move. I make it easier on myself to not go to a different, um, like, story and stay on this specific story that I have right now. Okay. So basically focusing and cutting out the distraction, that helps both of you really manage all of the complexity yes okay um so like uh what, what do you what do you do outside of work man how do you uh decompress uh i tried to go i tried to walk out that's mm -hmm. one of the things and it rained i think yesterday in texas yeah, yeah. i'm so happy i i went out i walked a little bit in the rain you know it was 100 degree temperatures yeah i, I don't know if this week is the same too but it's going 100 degrees i'm not i'm trying not to go out and get sunburned but for now i'll be working out and sometimes like i do like uh, study some of the new coding things online like as a i think as a software developer outside of your work life you still try to code you still try to learn new things because you'll get off your uh, i think you'll get out of your job pretty quick if you don't try to learn new things because there's yeah. always a new javascript framework that's coming out every day exactly what about you sean what have, what have you been doing outside of work to kind of stay refreshed uh, nothing <laughs> it, the last two or three weeks it has just been work some some priorities have to 
get dealt with and then I can get back into life again. But normally what I would be doing is hiking, uh, walking. There's some lakes mm. around here. Um, some there's I live near mountains and hills, so I could do some hiking. But that's about it. What what is the average like temperature out there? Because I know in here in Texas, like hundred degrees every day. You know, I've been walking a lot about an hour ago each day. Man, it's hot. But let me check mm. and see what it. It feels like a hundred, right? But it's not. It's. 76 but it feels like 100 wow <laughs> yeah i wish it was that here man <laughs> but i only go out for like 45 minutes but i come back and i'm just like it's like i jumped into a swimming pool and got out i'm just drenched and it's like man is it in the hundreds and then i look and it's like nope 75 oh wow is that's why it's cool? that's why it's 69 degrees and you see californians in three layers of clothing <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah i had no idea like so much of california was so cool during the summer like in the 70s and 60s yeah how, how long have you been in uh in, in uh texas uh roger four years four years yeah, yeah how, how do you like it Except the temperature, everything else is good. Like the yeah. weather change, the weather changes very rapidly. Like, oh yeah. I don't know why it's not changing this summer. This summer is super hot, but previously, like it used to be hot in the morning and bam, zero degrees in the night. Yeah. <laughs> well, were you here during like tornado season? Yes. No, don't talk about that one like yeah, <laughs> lights. At least for us, like it was good. Thank God, like our apartment complex. It like they were lights out for I think twelve hours or something, mm. probably less than that. But everything else was good. Like we had to throw out all the frozen food. Like, but it was pretty good in the whole sense. We couldn't find food, so we had to go out on the snow. All the McDonald's, everything was wow. full. <laughs> I think that was last year. I think this year was pretty good compared to last year. Mm -hmm. Is this a, uh, your, your second company or your first company? That, uh, no, this is my company? second company. Okay. How, how does this company uh, contrast to the, the previous one? You like it better? Yes. I mean, I always wanted to join a startup, at oh. least in my first few years of my development, like five to 10 years of my development. I won't, because I've heard from other people, like I've heard from, from some of my cousins and everybody, like who, who are at like big positions right now the knowledge that you gain from here is a lot more than anything that you can gain from any big company mm. even though they say that hey go to a big company you can learn but in a big company you only work on a single thing here i'm not just working on, like i would never would have thought that i worked on storybook in my life storybook was something that came out of nowhere and i had to learn it and now i appreciate having a design system at the company that, hey, we have this. So these are the users of Storybook at the company. You, you find that uh, same experience, Sean? Uh, startups have been teaching you like way more than big companies. Um, yeah, so I have a new person that started about four weeks ago. And he just graduated from a coding boot camp. And this is his first uh, job since then. And the first thing I did is I said, we're rewriting our app from scratch and you're laying down the first line of code. And 
he started with that. And of course I, I work with him and, and stuff like that, but he, he does a lot of it. And he just sent me a Slack message yesterday and thanking me about how he's just learning so much because he had to encounter JWT tokens, OAuth stuff, permissions, uh, like just so many things to list. And it's only been like three weeks and he's just in the thick of it. And so I've had that same kind of feedback from um, other people that I've hired. But as for me, it feels like just another day in the office. So I'm not the best barometer. But when I listen to how they talk about it, like they don't leave my company because they don't want to go somewhere and just be doing one thing. Right. It's actually nice. Like I think I've grown a lot more in the past eight months than like you know mm-hmm. in the past year at the, at the previous company. There's a lot more to learn and things move quick. Mm-hmm. Like we, we can't slack here. Like we can't be like, oh, we are maintaining this code. No, we are not maintaining this code. We are actively developing it and getting it to production quick. Yeah. Is a, is the benefits of the company good? Like they give you a lot, a lot of days off or is it const, like more like constant work? Okay. I think, I don't know. They changed the naming of it. I forgot the name, but it is unlimited PTO. Mm. But it, I think it's called flexible PTO. It's not unlimited, obviously. <laughs> obviously, you can't take months off. But I say it, the culture at the company is pretty great. Mm. I love the culture at the company. Everybody is pretty open. It's bottom top. Like, if you want to slack the CEO, you can slack the CEO. No, wow. He or she, both of them are going to reply to you. Is it like that at your company, Sean? Uh, it's like pretty uh, flat structure. Yeah, there's the CEO, um, the CSO, and then me, and then um, everyone else under me, and then, mm-hmm. and then like, even though I'm their boss, like uh, they also, it's kind of like we three co-share the space. Sometimes they need something, and then they just go and get it. Like it, it is pretty flat. There's literally one layer of management. And then one more layer from everybody else. Mm. Yeah, you got to love those kind of companies where you can actually reach out to the decision makers. Yeah. <laughs> I've been working at uh, mostly like big corporations. My first company was a startup, but everything else has been like, you know, like Citigroup, AT&T. And yeah, you, a lot of times you can't really, you know, go up too, too far off the chain. You just got to kind of wait for them to give you the decision. So. That's the thing with big companies. Like you have to talk to your manager. The manager goes and talks to the senior manager. The senior manager has another manager on top of it. Yeah, Yeah, you're gonna hope you don't have a manager that has a a uh, an insecurity that if you talk to someone above them, then they think you're going around. Mm -hmm. Yes. Oh yeah. I think my manager is pretty good. I mean, my manager is my CTO basically. Mm. So he's pretty great. Like. He's very open. Like that's what, at least the tech team. I don't know about the other teams. I haven't talked to them much, but the tech team is pretty open, and the approaches are mostly bottom to top. Like we are the ones who make the decisions, and he he will finalize the decision. Mm-hmm. But we we can like give our options. We can talk to him. We can see you know what our opinions are, and that's what I like about. It. It's not like hey work with React. Hey work with Storybook, and don't talk to me. Or something like that. 
So it kind of integrates you into the decision making. Yes. I've nope. made some decisions like my team and us, like we have made some decisions that actually like we've implemented them too. Mm. And it's like when the manager, uh, my manager is a technical manager. So mm -hmm. like he has his, uh, I think he has, uh, I forgot the name of the Google certification. What is the top one, the top Google certification? Uh, yeah, I'm not sure. Uh, I think it's called Google Fellowship or something. And only 5% of the people have that certification. Oh, wow. And my manager has that certification. Mm, so he's really technically sound. He's, yes. That's good. So we can talk technical to him. Okay. Be like, hey, like, this is the problem. This is what's going on. And he'll help us out. He has his GCP. He has GCP knowledge, like Google Cloud, mm. the whole knowledge of GCP and the other technical stuff. Too. Easier to talk to him. Easier to make. It's easier for him to make decisions on them, too. On our opinions so yeah you said he was a really good manager like what, what 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 are the traits of a good manager to you versus a bad manager okay for me a good manager should be open to the people below opinions of below anybody below him mm -hmm. like if somebody is saying hey this is not right i want to go this way he should be at least be open to like okay we'll try it if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out. We have sprints and all, like, it, it's not less sprint. Like, I think it's like a hackathon or something mm -hmm. where we just sit down for one week and just, we had two products going on. We are checking out a policy admin system. And in one week, there were three developers. We sat down, we did like a small hackathon kind of thing where we completed it and we gave the results to the manager. He's like, here, here you go. And we were like, okay, I like this and I like this and I like this. I don't like this. I don't like this. Depending upon that, he's going to make the final decision. Right. It's so, Sean, you find you, 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 do you find you taking that, that kind of approach when dealing with um, your team? Yeah. I, so, as a leader, like, I have to listen. Um, otherwise, I'm mm -hmm. a like uh, you know. Otherwise, I'm some kind of a dictator or that kind of thing. But at the same time, I have to make decisions, and it's going to go in conflict with what some of the team wants. Um, so managing how to do that, you know, is I generally tend to point them in the right direction, but let them decide how it's going to get there. Mm -hmm. And so as my team has grown and learned the kinds of things that make me happy or not happy. Um, I don't, I'm not even remotely as involved with them anymore as I was. They are actually a lot more independent and they know how to, they've grown a lot. And so, you know, you have to trust, but guide. And I think the hallmarks, for me, I still have bosses and managers, even though I'm a CTO, right? I think mm. the hallmarks of a good manager is in general, for me, it's all about trust. Trust means empathy. It means that they listen. It means there's communication. It doesn't mean you get what you want, but it means you're treated with respect, you know, versus a lot of managers I've had in the past where they just want what they want. And like, you can't reason with them. That's not a good manager. Right. Now, good management means two different things. The company will view a good manager as one who's, who delivers fast and delivers, you know, just keeps delivering. 
no matter what their personality is and no matter what their turnover is, that is how they investors look at a good manager. Mm. But as a employee, you don't look at a good manager as the one that's burning you out and running you into the ground, right? Yeah. You look at a good manager as one that communicates and listens well. And also there is micromanaging. Like, I don't like managers who try to micromanage what I'm doing every day. Like, don't like sit behind me and like tell me, okay, do this, 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 or you're doing this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. Mm -hmm. It kind of put pressure on you. And the more pressure you have, the the less you'll go. The, your productivity will drop a lot. So like whenever a manager, uh, you know, does something that you don't particularly care for, how do you push back? Um, what are your strategies for going against the grain, so to say? Oh, for, for me, at least like my company is pretty open. Like mm -hmm. if I don't like something, I'm just going to say it out loud. Like if it's in a stand up or a backlog refinement or something, if I don't like, let's just say they're using some other module that I don't want to use. Mostly my manager won't, I, I mean, 90% of the time he won't touch the code. Like he won't mm -hmm. tell us what to do with our own code. Maybe it's dealing, uh, the most thing that he deals with is what the actual company has to deal with. Like, let's just say like I'm doing, I'm working with Stripe. So mm -hmm. he has the final decision on Stripe. I don't, cause it's not the coding aspect, it's a business aspect when it comes to Stripe. Right. Mm -hmm. So if I disagree with him, I'm, I'm just gonna tell it. I'm just gonna let him know that, hey, I disagree with this, this, then this, but I'm not somebody that I'm not, I'm not going to force my manager to do something because he has to think in his own business perspective. He has to talk to his superiors. Like he has a CEO above him. So I'm just going to give my opinion. I'm going to leave it up to him. It's like, Oh, here's this, but the final decision is yours. And whatever he chooses, I'm happy with it because I like my manager. Mm -hmm. I know that he's going to take a good decision. So I'm going to leave the final decision to him. And that I think that matters a lot because the manager trusting me, I have to trust my manager with the decision. Too. Right. Yeah. Yeah, definitely a two way street. What about you, Sean? Like, how do you push back against like the CEO? And on the mm -hmm. flip side of the coin, when somebody pushes back against you, how do you react to that? Yeah, I was going to and uh, I was thinking about something Roger was just saying is uh, you know, from a manager's perspective, sometimes I override my team simply because I'm the one who's accountable for any decision or anything that happens or doesn't happen. And I have to be able to own it. So there has been a couple of times where my team just pleaded with me and please let us do it this way. But I couldn't get it into my head and the deadline and everything. So I had to take it a different direction than they wanted just so I can speak to it before the investors and and own the accountability side. Um, but when I do that, I always go back another cycle and I let them refactor and rewrite and, and do it. It's for me, that's always a temporary decision, but it's not that way for everybody. And it's difficult because I go to sleep at night going, man, I just told them that the thing that's most important to them isn't important to me. But in reality, just getting past that milestone you know, was important to all of us, even though they don't see the inner workings. So sometimes that happens. To answer your question, Kevin, mm -hmm. um, it, as a CTO, it's easy to push back on the team too hard and no one will speak up too loudly because they're afraid of getting fired. So I've actually had to learn how to read emotions and, and sense the mood of the day and kind of 
did I cause this mood or what's causing it and that kind of a thing. Um, mm -hmm. I do listen. And I think that's the most important. The team will tell you what they want. But you're going to have 15 different people telling you different 15 different things. And, you know, only one or two or three or four of them can actually go forward. Hmm. Um, when, uh, but I do listen. When it's somebody that's above me, like my boss, um, I've worked for the micromanager types before. And all you can do with them is choose your battles unless you very quickly want them to feel like you're not worth it. So if you have somebody who likes having control and you don't feel like they trust you, you just have to choose your battles and show them that you can be trusted and not like create friction and have that grind. And you're going to be miserable. But no. I've managed to turn a few of those people around. Um, at the end, they just want to know that you're not going to, you know, let them down in some way. When it's the team, then... Uh, I tend to explain why I'm making a decision that I am. I won't just say no and then walk away. I will try as hard as I can to get a buy-in or an understanding at least. Um, being being at a, a high level of management, it's really difficult because you take it from both ends. You take it from the people below you and you get it from the people above you. Yeah, a lot of the managers that I've come across, they seem like really stressed out. So like, what, what are some of the things that, you know, like the the – the coders below you, they don't really realize that you deal with. Like maybe like you have to get chewed out by the boss or, you know, you have to meet a tight deadline and it's all on you and they don't really realize that. I'm kind of going through that right now where uh, a year ago, see, we invented our product from scratch just about 18 months ago and when you start with nothing, you're going to have a lot of inefficiencies everywhere. Your deployment is going to be wrong and slow. Your automations don't exist. Your back end is less efficient. You know, you just have to evolve it. You don't start optimal and efficient. At least we didn't. And uh, in order to speed things up, I, we did a lot of work on the back end. We put in that automation. We put in that DevOps stuff. We put in the AWS. Like we... We literally took a, a five-week pro uh, delivery process and brought it down to like two days. But mm. we put no effort into the front end. So the front end still takes a long time because it was not done very correctly either originally. And features is what sells to the customers. And if they're not moving fast enough, they wonder where all their money and time is going, you know, the CEOs, the bosses. Um, so I'm kind of in that boat right now where it's like we did all this work on – to get everything down to days, but the front end still takes a week or two when it should just take a day or two. And it's hard to explain because what they can't see, they don't believe. Right. It's hard for me, even for my backend team, like they work a lot. Like they work more, I think they work more than us. Like, you know, putting all those APIs together and the policy admin system they have to work with. But since you can't see it, or you're like, oh, are they really working like do they really? Yeah. I read an article just a few days ago, a LinkedIn post rather, and it literally was speaking to me. And I mean, they didn't write it to me, but it basically said if a back out, so I'm a back end scalability architect by trade, and then I became a CTO, but I wasn't working as a front end developer. And it literally said that people, 
who have a strong background in the in, in the back end, when they become directors or CTOs, they're going to neglect the front end. And that's exactly what I did. I didn't focus on it because mm. that wasn't a strength that I had. I know now for the future that everything needs equal attention. So like uh, when you say neglecting the front end, uh, can you speak on that? Like what, like you, the site didn't look that good or the functionality wasn't as robust? Or So when you build a React or any kind of a modern, uh, any kind of a modern front end with components, you generally design it a certain way. You break it into components, you find mm -hmm. the reusable parts, you think about it. We didn't. Every screen in our system was written as if there were no other screens in existence. Mm -hmm. So when we add, and we're a data analytics company, and some of the data shows up like all across the whole thing. Mm -hmm. So when we hit one of those features where we're going to go change 20 screens, we literally have to solve that problem for the first time 20 times. That's why we're rewriting it in Svelte, by the way, is to add the architecture. Now, me not being a React developer, I didn't know that. I just let my front-end developers do what they saw fit until we started getting features and we couldn't get them into the system because it would take a month. Mm. So that's what I mean by put attention to it. Got it. We have a monorepo at our company. It, it, the components are like, that's what I like about it because mm -hmm. the, all the components are connected together. Like if uh, it's like the input uh, input has text entry in it, text entry has the actual JS element in it. So all the colors are coming from the top down, like the whole system design is like built. So if I change one color, it changes for every button in the whole website itself. Like one of our lead developers actually had the code for all that. And I love this system. Like it is so easy that I don't have to like go through multiple things. So if I want to change a color, I don't have to go through every page and change the color everywhere. I just have to change it at one place and it changes by itself. Oh yeah, it's definitely a good design system. So like, what are some of the uh, other things that y'all do to keep the, the front end uh, maintainable and easy to change? Okay. Uh, so we have a mono repo going on with react and react native both in the same repo and we are using i think graphql and apollo server to connect to the back end the state management is done by the apollo server so we don't have to use any redux or any other state management mm -hmm. system everything is stored in apollo so everything goes to apollo server from there like it can go anywhere it wants to. For us front-end developers, we just need to send it to the, the server part of it, the GraphQL server, and that gets taken care of from there. And we have the system design. It's not proper yet, at least in Storybook. Like I've used, I've written Storybook my stories myself, and I forgot how the component looks like. And I had to open Storybook to check how the component works. Like what props does this component have? And I think Storybook is one of every company should have their own Storybook with their mm -hmm. design system inside it. Uh, at least, like we have colors, we have typography, and the color says every color that like these are the text colors. Okay, these are the mm -hmm. button colors. These are these colors. Like you need to have everything in a single place. That let's just say a new developer joins your company, he opens Storybook. That's it. That's all he needs to do. 
So he needs a button. Go to storybook, change, mm -hmm. and in storybook you have the option to like uh, add the props and like change the props over there. You just copy paste the code and put it over there. So for those that don't really know what storybook is, uh, can you uh, explain to them? Okay, storybook is a system design. Uh, I think it's a component design system mm -hmm. for front end developers. They may say it's system design, but it's technically like all the React components that you have. Let's just say you have a button, you have this, you have that. Mm -hmm. Like you pull all of that into Storybook, and I can we share something over here? Or... Sure. Uh, there should be a screen share Show for me then. Let me see. Let me see if I can actually like show this. Okay. Maybe you guys can go to the storybook. Wait. Okay. Um, yeah. Let me, okay. Yeah. Let me. Okay. If you go to storybookjs.org. Okay. Yeah, and storybookjs.org. Yes. Story. I think it's storybook.js.org. Yeah. Okay, yeah, here we go. Let me uh, showcase, let me share my screen. can see like you can click on one of the uh, one of the designs like any of the designs by those companies i would yeah anything is fine like you can click on the storybook over there oh, okay that yes oh uh, let's see i think yeah we we'll do this Okay. Okay. So now this, like, as as a front end developer, like, this is so good. Like, this makes it easier for me. Mm -hmm. This makes it easier for me. Like, okay, I go to Storybook. I read all this. I know, like, because most of the times, if there are like two developers working on something, some person may use four pixels of margin and the other person may use three pixels of margin, but the company mm -hmm. actually requires you to use four pixels or eight, like multiples of four. And if it's all documented over here and each component is documented too, if you click on show code, I don't know if you can actually see the code in this. Okay. Like, yeah. Yeah. So you just copy paste this code into your you know, editor. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you just copy and paste it. Yeah. Yes. And okay. Let me see if I can give this link to you guys. Uh, uh, and I believe with Storybook, you can kind of do uh, like live manipulation, right? You can change the props and see how it affects the components. Yes. If you go to, if you go back to showcase, like uh, Storybook showcase. Let me see. Uh, oh, is that a. Uh, 
go uh, go back to the uh, and okay. go back click go down click on view all projects you oh, are yes yeah. and if you go down you can see adobe i think it's on the right side somewhere if you keep going down yes adobe. yes it's right, right there yeah now this storybook if, if you can click on storybook you'll have the options over there okay so yeah. now this has the props now this is easy like you change the prop over here at the bottom there are the controls like you can change from false to true if you can mm -hmm. And it just makes for new developers at least easier to go through all this. I can change the proper, I can see everything. I can see like, okay, this is what the button has. Mm -hmm. But in my previous company, we didn't have this. We oh, used, wow. I think we used Material UI instead of using our own button. So I had to go mm -hmm. to Material UI docs. I had to go through all of the props that are there. But here I can actually like edit the props myself. I can check how the UI looks like. Right. So this is a good way to share with other developers the components that you've been working on and how to use it. Yes. And also people higher in the company, like your mm -hmm. managers or your CEOs, like if they want to look at your buttons and they're like, hey, I don't like this button. I, this uh, mm -hmm. storybook has an attachment for Figma. We use Figma where the Figma link is right there. It, uh, mm -hmm. It's not here. It's it's an add on. But oh, okay. there is a Figma link that you can put it over there. The designers, I think this is very helpful for the designers too. Mm -hmm. Like developers and designers, when they're working together, the designer can come back and is like, hey, Raja, this button is not good. I don't like this color. I don't like this shadow that's there. It's not mm -hmm. the same as Figma link. And he can let me know about that. And mm -hmm. I can talk a lot about Storybook. There is you can write tests on it you can do if you have an input component like mm -hmm. an entry component you can actually type in it and mm -hmm. you can write test for it so i think it's called interaction test where mm -hmm. it, you just write the test and it types by itself over there checks for any errors you can click buttons over there oh wow you can check uh, if you click over there you can uh, on that uh, on the left yes you okay. can check different mobile yes there oh, okay you can click small mobile tablet like there is a lot happening in here the cool thing with storybook is it's like a an interactive design system mm -hmm. but, but uh we're trying to create a design system with storybook and man it's you're gonna it, it is not easy <laughs> i wonder do they have this for angular Let's see they must because our storybook is through Savelt, so they must have one for. Okay, yeah, they do introduction of storybook for Angular. Okay, so yeah, they have like different thing. Storybook is just a component, like a design system. You can use different uh, frameworks with it. Mm. And you say they got like some uh, a lot of different plugins. Yes, and there's a lot of configuration. Like you can configure it however you wanted it to. Mm. Like you can put like I think you can put your own logo at the top. You can change the color. Like I played with it a little bit. I'm like, okay, let me change this to blue. Let me change this to black. Mm -hmm. You can put dark mode, you know, light mode. Check both of the things. Oh, but wow. 
it's mostly helpful if you have a startup and you are just starting out or like not just a startup if you are a new team and you're starting out a different software mm -hmm. it's easier to just write this quick so if a new developer joins the team it's easier for him to you know start working on it right so so like when a new developer joins your team uh how, how do you onboard them quickly like how do you personally reach out to them and make sure they know what they're doing uh, we actually had a new developer join recently mm -hmm. first thing i uh, at my company we give them a small task that's the first thing you get in you'll get a task day one you'll get a task like mm -hmm. you have to work on something you have to know the code because if if I take time to teach you the code, if I do all this, like that's me helping you. But if you learn by yourself, you're going to learn faster and you'll have a lot of doubts going through all this. Mm -hmm. And there is a developer beside you. Like we have a lead developer. We had a new mobile developer join our company. So we had the lead mobile developer help her out. And any questions that she has, she can either reach out to me. Like if she has any web or any other questions, she can reach out to him. Everybody at the company, every developer at the company is open, mm -hmm. open to our messages. You ask about anything. I, I don't care if you're going to ask me about coding. I don't care if you're asking me about the CEO or my manager. I'm going to talk about anything. Mm -hmm. And that's how the culture was built. You can mm -hmm. reach out to any person and he's not going to be like, hey, I don't have time for you. Like, I can't tell you this. I can't teach you this. Everybody's pretty open to like learning. Everybody's pretty open to teaching. Yeah, that's, that's really big, uh, especially for new developers. Like they can, they're, they're not alone. A, a lot of the developers, when they come to a company, they feel alone. Like if I mess up, I'll get fired. I can't reach out to anybody. So, so it, it might even make them quit. That's so, that's what I like. Like in my previous company, we, ha I had that happening where like, uh, we didn't have any introductions happening because it was mm -hmm. a big thing. It was like 40 people working on the product in split into two teams. And you can't actually like reach out to every person. There were no introductions. I just joined the company and I had to get working. Like slowly I started reaching out to the developers. I'd, like I looked at the code. I was like, who's actually like working on this? Mm -hmm. I went to the Jira board. I'm like, okay, these people are the working. I'll reach out to them. Mm -hmm. But here we are like, okay, I'm working on this. You're working on that. We are all pretty open. Doesn't matter if you're mobile, web, you can reach out to anybody. How about you, Sean? How do you make a new developer feel comfortable joining? So our, to be honest, it starts with the interview process. During mm. the interview, um, it's not something I can easily put into words, but I disarm people. So even the most anxious of um, applicants, like, it's like two friends talking and then I walk them through the code and show them what they'll be working on. You know, I'll go into a screen share and sometimes I'll give them the mouse and keyboard, but I let them see what they're going to be working with. And we talk about it and stuff like that. So that's one part of the onboarding process. And then the second part is when they start all of their access, their accounts, everything is set up the day before they start and it's ready to go when the you know at the, at the hour that they do and then um and then when they do start the last component is we have a uh, like an ansible script or something that sets up their machine and they can and i'll give them a task 
that they could realistically complete and push into our GitHub within the same day or the next day. And with all of our automations, once it's pushed, it goes out into a deployment, not into production, but into our dev and staging environments. Um, and and that's, that's how I do it, is through that experience. And then the rest of it, as they're figuring out how to complete their deployment, I get them with every other team member, like from the UX person to understand the requirement, to our DevOps, to understand the CLI commands they have to know, to our database people, like whoever it happens to be. Mm -hmm. And our people are usually onboarded within three days. And then after the fourth or fifth day, they're, they're ready to go. Mm. And it wasn't that way. It used to take months. But oh, wow. somehow through all these automations, um, it, it made it so the only barrier is our communication. And then we just put a lot of time into figuring out how to uh, communicate with our new hires. And mm. it, it doesn't take anyone more than a few days anymore. Oh, wow. Even our slowest person, which would be like an intern who has very little experience and they don't have a mental frame of reference of how they should communicate or anything. Even them within five days are ready to go. Mm. So yeah, uh, Roger, where, where, where do you see yourself in like uh, five years or where, where, do, where do you see your career headed? Uh, I'll probably be a senior developer by then. I'm thinking mm. that I'm reaching two years right now. I'm gonna be two years in November. But three years from now, that's five years, five years. Like, I want to be at a senior dev position. Mm -hmm. Probably in front end, but I'm trying to, like, branch out a little bit, learn a little bit about the back end part of it, too. Got it. Yeah, honestly, I think you could be full, I mean, uh, senior developer next year. I'm, I'm letting you know that I'm learning a lot of skills at the startup. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm learning more than... Uh, I can learn at a different company. Yeah. Because no one's going to allow, if I'm at a big company, no one's going to allow me to work with Storybook, work with the front end web app, work with Stripe, work with this. They'll be totally different teams, like split out in different ways. Mm -hmm. I'm learning a lot, but personally, I do have a lot more to learn before I become a senior developer. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm currently, I'm learning how to do uh, unit testing properly. I haven't mm -hmm. done much unit tests, but I'm learning how to do unit testing. That's my goal right now, at least for this year or something. Learn unit testing, and we are getting Playwright to do the end-to-end -end testing for us. Mm -hmm. So I'm trying to learn that. So after unit testing, after Playwright, now I have at least the full knowledge of, yeah. okay, I can create a component, and I can push it. And obviously we are using TypeScript, too, so I'm, I'm learning that, too, all at the same time. So I, I'll have the confidence that if I push a component, it will work. Mm -hmm. it, does, it doesn't have any bugs. You know, I've write unit tests for it. I've done this testing. I've done TypeScript. It's easy. So here you go. That, I haven't got that confidence yet, but I think I can do it probably in the next years or so. Mm -hmm. So like, okay, Sean, if, 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 uh, you were coaching, uh, Raja say like he, you know, you decide to be his mentor or whatever, what, what are some of the things you would tell him to guide his software career? Um, you know, we managers, we tend to, um, 
I put this into words. Um, we tend to think of seniority as the more independently you can take an idea to production without now, you know, as you, you know, there's always a, if you can imagine this is a chart with mm -hmm. just lines going somewhere, you know, with no X and Y label, but uh, if you can imagine to one level of seniority, you're taking an idea to completion on your own with some independence and you cross a line with a higher level of seniority after that, where you take an idea to completion uh, with motivating a team and other people doing it with you. And so my best advice is learn the skills, but more importantly, under, keep it in the back of your in, in the back of your mind that you can get a thousand page book on JavaScript, for example, or Python, and it'll cover every single feature as if it's an encyclopedia. And then you can go and get another book on SQL for the database. Then you can go get another one on React and another one on whatever, right? But at the end of the day, when you build something, you get out the door, you, you've like 5% of SQL, 15% of JavaScript, 10% of HTML, 30% of CSS, 7% of unit testing ideas, right? So you're using only a small surface area of all these technologies. But the important thing isn't how well you know JavaScript and everything. It's how well you can get an idea into uh, production with the least amount of personal friction and then the least amount of team friction. Depending on once you hit senior developer, you're kind of operating at an individualistic level. And once you hit like tech lead, which is above senior, uh, senior developer, now you're working at a team level. And then once you hit something like architect or staff, now you're hitting like company wide. So I would say learn your skills, but more important than those skills, or at least as important with a bias towards more important, um, learn how to build your relationships with people and mm. influence them. And uh, you'll actually become a senior developer um, years earlier. Because at some point, it's not your personal skill unless you want to be the roadblock to everything. It's more about can you get everybody else to see the vision and let them use their skills. Mm -hmm. So the amount of focus you put on your individual effort um, will help you more when you get like staff and principal level. Um, when you can just do anything, kind of, you know, that kind of a thing. But really... At the lower levels, it's your, your more important skill to accelerate you is going to be a lot more about how well you can influence others to help you. Mm. And you don't have to be a leader to get people to think of you as a leader. Mm. You just have to know how to work out relationships with them and get them excited about something with you. Mm. It's about uh, uh, like let, making them trust you with mm. what you have like a story that you have that hey this guy this person can actually complete this story or a vision just no, like no. hey just like hey man this is what i want to do you want to help me you know i i hear you're good at aws you know we could do this together kind of thing no. um i was at i was at experian for so many years and i was very individualistic at first and i didn't get that many promotions 
and I kept wondering why am I not getting that many pay raises, not that many promotions. And then one day I got a uh, an annual performance review, and it's like, whoa, where did this come from? But mm. the byline on it said I learned how to build relationships with others, and that was i got i got more done by not doing as much work in other words i did a lot of work when it was me but it wasn't recognized and i was always mm -hmm. a roadblock and then when they did their 360 reviews people were like i was waiting on sean and that looked bad on me but then mm -hmm. you know there was a year or two in there where i almost did nothing but i got everything done because we all did it together and those were my best pay raises my best promotions uh it's really about it's really not about your individual contribution once you get into mm -hmm. like once you get into like higher levels it's about your ability to enable and bring others together like it's yeah. it's your ability to bring others together that when you're in that leadership role it's about your ability to enable others but when you're mm -hmm. not in that leadership it's your ability to influence others yeah i have seen this happening to one of my lead developers like he'll uh, uh He'll give us, I, how should I say this? Like he'll pull us towards this idea. Like, it's like, you may not like it, but you're like, hey, it's probably a good thing, you know? It's probably doing a good thing, so we are going to try it out. And turns out it's a good thing. And it's, I do agree with you that, you know, when you become a lead developer, we have a lead developer over here, and he is very good at what he does. Mm -hmm. And like him, as you said, like he can pull people towards what he's doing. He can complete his vision and he takes the help of others. I mean, it's not like taking the help of others. He asks others and we are like, oh, okay. We see the same vision as you. Complete mm -hmm. this I think your key technical skill is going to be systems design. And the reason why is even before it was called systems design back in 1998 and all those earlier years, we still asked the same questions. How do I write a, a rate limiter? How do I get past this database that is so slow? Oh, add caching. How do I add caching? You mm. know, all that kind of stuff. The one thing, I mean, I know interviews focus on systems design is just the ability to do anything, but in practice, the key benefit is it allows you to have in your head a mental picture of what it is you're trying to achieve. And as long as you know what you're trying to achieve, it's a lot like the front end. If someone gives you a, a mock-up of what a screen looks like, then it doesn't matter if you're junior or senior, you're going to imitate it until it's built. And then eventually you have it in reality, you have, you know, you have a, a realization of it on the back end or the system as a whole. You have to see how the pieces fit together, how the data flows and all that. And your key skill to being one of the best, you know, like this tech lead that you that you that you reference that's at your company. I'm pretty sure that his his or her superpower is that somehow they have a handle on the design of the system, hence system design. And so because they know what needs to be built, they just they feel a lot more productive. I was on a on a panel with other leaders once, and we were asked the question, why Why is it as a leader do you feel that you can uh, be more productive than your team when you give it to your team? Do you ever feel like it takes you days and it takes them weeks? And we all had the same, of course it does. 
you know, but it's not because we're leading the team that, you know, that makes us more efficient. We're not more efficient because we're leaders of, of the team. We're not leaders of the team because we're more efficient. We're more efficient because we spend five weeks working out the requirements and then we already know what needs to be built. And by the time the team gets it, they have one day to come up to speed and it's going to take them two weeks. It's going to take them some time, right? Mm. And I think that's where systems design as a general subject gives you an advantage. Um, if you're able to visualize how things will fit together and work or what questions to ask, then your productivity is going to be through the roof. And everyone's going to look at you and say, how does this person know that? Well, I mean, of course you don't know that, but somehow in your head, you can see how it all fits together. And that's what the secret ingredient is. Mm. Yes. yes, I've seen that happening too. Even when I was previously in the backend team, I mean, it was not a backend team. We only had three people in there. But right now it's called the backend team for us. Mm -hmm. uh, we were working out the backend part of it, the backend architecture. Like we, we use GCP for our backend architecture. And we are like, okay, we have to do APIs. That's that's the main goal. Somehow we have to do an API. But a lot of uh, thinking and sprints went into research, went into the security part of it. How how is a user going to connect to the backend part of it? We had we researched for I think a few weeks about this. It took us like a month of research. Since we are all like we uh, we are all I think we had a developer with five years of experience, three to five years of experience. We didn't have a tech lead kind of person at our company, so just three or four of our developers or CTO we had to think about it. I learned a lot about how every every uh, the backend was connected. Okay, we have to connect this Firebase and we have to use this API gateway to actually send all these requests and this mm -hmm. is the security, this is the capture that goes on. And we had like a whole uh, like a whole diagram of everything that's connected and me helping them how actually teach me that, okay, this is how the backend is working. Now I know how the flow goes through all this. Mm -hmm. And that kind of helps you, like even when I was looking at other system design, while I was doing this, I was looking at other system designs like, you know, design Netflix, like, you know, those interview questions that they ask, design Netflix, design this. I was looking at their things and they're like, they look almost the same as we did. Mm -hmm. And just by knowing this information, because most companies like, you can't see all these designs most of in most of the companies. They're done by like an architect, like a software architect that's like way high above you. I got to say that I got to participate in this and it helped me out a lot just by looking at like, okay, how is the data going to flow from one end to the other end? Mm -hmm. Even like, uh, I agree with Sean about uh, having a mental flow of how things go. Whenever I'm working with some, like I was working with Stripe and it's like, there are so many API calls going front and back with Stripe. And they had like a small diagram of like, okay, this is how the API call is going to go. But inside I had a lot of code, like a lot of functions. And as he said, I had a good knowledge of, okay, this is the flow. Now I have to explain it to all the other developers after the sprint end. And even I, even it was confusing for me and for them of how the flow was going to go. My lead developer had a lot of questions on that. It's like, okay, what is happening here? What is happening over here? It's like, 
I can't explain all of it, all these details, because I would say if you're working on something new, having an actual diagram mm. and showing it to the people. Like I had this while I was like talking to them in the sprint. At the end of the sprint, I had to talk to uh, like show them all my code of how it was working. Having a good diagram is good. Uh, easier yeah i would recommend if i can interject uh yes. keep practicing i right now for me it's second nature just a thought appears in my head and i could and i could visualize an entire system like instantly and be very close to accurate maybe some differences in reality but it's not an innate it's one it's one that you have to build if i could make a suggestion Every time you're about to do something that's design related, particularly as it pertains to data flow or like the back end, if for a year or so, if you can force yourself to get the discipline to put it on paper first and then implement off of paper, you know, after about a year, you won't need to do it. It'll just be second nature. It'll be a skill that you've cultivated. And maybe if you have an architect, this is how I learned software architecture at Experian. I had other people to brainstorm with. It was never, you know, you know, something I just did in a vacuum. But or I would look at design pattern books. Surprisingly, I cataloged over 989 design patterns and then I went and diagrammed by hand each one of them out. And they're for different domains, some of them for coding, some of them for workflow, some of them for communication, some of them for database and so on. But my, my point behind all this is if you can get yourself to um, diagram it out in some way on paper before you build it, then you will give yourself, you will develop the skill of being able to visualize anything. Like you will find at some point it's, it's a worthless exercise to diagram it because you just know what's going to happen and you feel like it's wasting time to diagram it. That's when you know you don't need to write it on diagrams anymore. But until then, you're going to feel like, man, how do I get this on paper? I'd rather just build it. Uh, I would recommend every day, 15 minutes, whatever, if you could whiteboard or diagram it or use Visio or something like that, you will build that skill. And you'll be amazed that it'll just become a superpower. Mm. Um, me and a few other people did that, and like it, it works. It's not a cliche. I mean, it really works. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, you, you made an in interesting point earlier, like uh, at a certain point, technical prowess, develop your technical skills that stops, you know, what I'm saying really uh, enabling you to make progress in the organization at, at another point. It's more beneficial to focus on, like you say, like painting the vision, being able to communicate that vision via like system design to everybody and start empowering them. I've seen that, like even my lead developer, I, uh, now that you say it out loud, now that Sean has actually said it out loud, like I'm looking back to what my lead developer has done. And it's like, he had a vision, like mm. we, I think we changed from Webpack to white. It was not easy, but I was like, how did he suddenly make this change? Like, I think he had a vision of like, okay, we want to change to white and white is quick. I'm telling you, white is way better. Mm. 0.1 seconds, your app will start. 
and mm-hmm. he's good at caching all this. So now that I look back at it, is like he probably had a vision of this app working with Y, and he already had the flow and everything. Now he just needs to code it out. Mm-hmm. So I one so I was talking with one of I was mentoring one of my junior devs recently, and he asked the question i don't think i'm personally i don't think i'm that productive i know i know i can get a lot of things done really fast but i also know the people i hire are better at what they do than i am at the same time so like all of us together we form a team but there is there is a reason why sometimes when i finally put stuff out it delivers really smoothly and it's a trick that I learned as a software architect at Experian that I hadn't done before that is uh, sometimes I can get a sense for, you know, in five months, this is going to be a problem. Or they'll talk about something now, but it's not materialized into a project, but I know it's coming. Or it's just something I want to do. It doesn't matter the reason. But I will create a small prototype behind the scenes, no one knows I'm doing it. And it's just something I do for my own benefit, a prototype. Mm. So I've done it once. And I did that with the Svelte. I spent a month on my Svelte rewrite before I handed it off to, before I went and hired somebody to do it with me. Um, and what this prototype does is it allows me to get ahead of the problems and answer some questions and do it with, with the safety of zero deadlines. If they don't know I'm doing it, they're not asking for it pretty much. But having done it once before I'm on the hook for it, um, I've worked out a lot of kinks. And 100% of the time, the project goes smoother when I've had a chance to prototype it. um, And it goes a lot more bumpy when I have not had a chance to prototype it. So if you're able to think of something that um, you want to do that is like, man, how do I do it? I don't understand. Get ahead of the curve and see if you can spend a little time each day to build up a prototype and work out the kinks and answer your questions before they put it on your plate. And I think what you're going to find is they're going to see it like, wow, that guy knows what he's doing. How does he know these answers? But Mm. deep down inside, you know you don't have the answers. You just had a prototype before they did. (laughs) That is actually what I do. And I coach my junior people to do the same thing. Sometimes I work with them on it, and I specifically support it. But in my career, I've had to do it either in isolation from my boss or with some team members in isolation from my boss. Because once your boss knows you're doing it, it's going to become a project. That's, that's nice. Like, I think all of, like, even at my company, we do like proof of concept, like basically prototypes, yeah. your own thing before we start working on anything, anything new. Like, I had to build a prototype for Stripe before I actually went into it, but mm. it's better to do it before they ask me. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. At least so that, hey, I have the confidence to be like, if somebody asks me, I'm like, yeah, already have this working, I know this, the flow. Bingo. It, it's a small trick that we can do. Sounds like you work at a good company. You're saying all these things. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, man, I feel like I'm an enlightened CTO because I do these things, or I think these are the way a company should be run, but you're, your answer to everything is that's what we do here. And it's like, there's some things I want to say that I can't because I'm on camera. I don't know if my boss is watching this, but <laughs> but it sounds like you've got a, you're working at a really good place. 
Yes, I love my work. That's all I have to say. And like the the thing about I like about it is that when like I was building Stripe, I was building the proof of concept for Stripe, and it took me a long time. Like it took me almost like five or six days, or probably more if I consider it. And no one was trying to micromanage what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Like my CTO was like I was letting them know every stand up. I was like, hey, I build this, I build this. They were not pushing me towards some answer and because of that i think i've done it better like when i actually integrated that into our react app like i just built that in isolation i I copied the code into the react app everything went smoothly Mm. it took me a day a single day a few hours i sat down i put the whole stripe code in there and everything works smooth and i'm like them giving me that time was very helpful so that you know I'll give back my time to you when I actually like give you the product. Yeah, company culture is very important. Um, like, who who doesn't want a company where you know the employees love to come to work and work hard? You know. So, so just just uh, so what, what what are some bad company culture like concepts that you, you've come across that kind of demotivated y'all from like really? being productive like micromanagement um. it's funny you said a company loves when people work hard i want to jump on that cliche because (laughs) i think one of the toxic things about american maybe it's global but you know my Mm. view is american corporate culture is the definition of hard work means the more you sacrifice of yourself and your life and give to the company that's hard work longer Mm. hours longer weekends like less vacation get rewarded. That's hard work. But companies don't want hard workers in reality. You want smart workers, people that are going to make the company efficient, competitive, and the, and the employees happy. So like, um, where I'm at, the culture is really balanced. And honestly, I find I'm going to go anywhere else kicking and screaming because it's not a normal experience. Mm -hmm. It's honestly like I think people leave because of the culture and yeah. managers and managers are a big part of that culture because sometimes they don't enforce it or they enforce it too much. And or selectively. Yes, selectively too. Mm-hmm. And for me, like, I, I don't know, I'm happy with my company. I love to work. Mm-hmm. If you guys want insurance, you can go to that company. It's called Loop Insurance. It's based in Austin. But only for Texas residents. So. Hmm. Yeah, y'all check that out. Loop. <laughs> I built an insurance software platform uh, before, uh, hmm. and they were also based mostly out of Texas, but they had an office here where the developers were. I wonder if it's related. <laughs> insurance is hard to get into, honestly, for us at least. Like. Yeah. I previously worked in uh, medical, I, I, I can't say medical because, so I worked in Blue Cross Blue Shield mm-hmm. and it, I worked on a agent's website, the agents that work for Blue Cross Blue Shield, mm-hmm. but currently like I'm on car insurance, so, but car insurance no, is not easy. And at my company, I, I like the, the vision that the company has to that's one of the reasons I uh, actually, I reached out to them uh, 
So if we don't use credit to give you insurance, like we don't mm -hmm. check your credit. We just, it's depending upon your location and how you drive is mm -hmm. how we treat you. And it's like, that's totally different from what other insurances are doing. Like I have Geico personally, but yeah, and Geico probably checks, uh, checks. Okay. This guy's working as a software developer. This guy's doing this, this guy's doing that. Like it checks, puts all of this into check, but our company doesn't do that. So it's like splitting away from what actually oh. the industry is doing. And it's the CEO is nice. The company is doing good. So I love their vision of where they're going like currently. That's awesome. Yeah, we're approaching an hour and 20 minutes. Uh, I think it's a good, about a good time to start. Yeah, additional thoughts? Uh, to about what? No, just anything before we close. If anybody wants insurance, you can come to ridewithloop.com. Ride you guys can go there, get your insurance. It's good. I love, uh, honestly, I love everybody at the company. That's what I have to say. Everybody is good. Like that's what matters a lot. For me, that's what matters a lot. Your culture at the company should be open. At least to me, it should be open. Everybody should be able to reach out. And, and the one more thing is the CEO talked about this. And when you hire a lot more people, your culture may get diluted. Mm -hmm. Like slowly one manager may not be like, like pushing the culture towards the team. But for us, at least, like, even though we are, I think we are at 50 right now, the culture is still there. Everybody mm -hmm. has the same culture. The people that we are hiring come into with the same mindset of everybody else. What about you, Sean? Any closing thoughts? No. <laughs> yeah, we, we appreciate you coming on, Roger, man. Uh, if, if you ever want to come on again, let us know, man, and we'll bring you on. Definitely. Definitely. You guys can invite me next time. I actually love talking to you guys. I've learned something new. I'm going to write oh, down yeah. that diagram. I think there's the writing down on the, on paper, I think drawing yeah. the diagrams on paper. That's what I'm going to do. Feel free to ping me also. If, if you need somebody to um, hash it out with or anything like that, I'll totally like, yeah, um, I wonder I'll, I'll totally this. make time for it. I wanted to ask you this, like, is like drawing these diagrams is only for the back end. Like, how should I think of it from a front end perspective? Like, let's just say they gave me, uh, they tell me to put a button somewhere in the app, somewhere in the website. Like, how should I think of it as the diagram? Like, is it like the, the, the state management or the state flows from here to there or like the UI? Like, yeah, I wish I could show you ours. I can't, unfortunately, but, uh, the way I do it is I use, are you familiar with a low fidelity design where, yes. it, where it's yeah. just like, okay. So I do a lot with low fidelity designs and even if they're pencil sketches and um, the way I do it is I put, I'll identify where the components are, what, what should be a component or what is if it's already been made. And then I capture what the state is in the state interactions. So that way I can, I do sometimes a form of optimization through that. I just did that exercise with somebody yesterday on my team where 
they did it one way and then we sat down to put it on paper and we eliminated 300 lines of code off of it just by saying oh if that went there we, we don't have to do all this so that's how i do it i'll get the data interactions off of the screen through a low fidelity design okay. but it's context those are the problems i'm trying to solve they may not be the problems you're trying to solve yes i'll use the same like pattern in my own designs someday uh, i could probably i could probably craft a couple up and send them your way so you can see an example of, of what i'm talking about i'll probably reach out to you about that yeah. and we use graphql also so like i get the mappings all that kind of stuff and i had to so my lead developer he showed me how to write a mutation and how to write all this and it was not easy for me like uh, he showed me on one one of the apis like i had to do for the other api myself it was not easy but mm -hmm. since the setup was good like he's the, like all the setup of the where the mutations were where the resolvers were it was easy for me to like just go through them you know and all of them we use something called type graphql since we're a typescript shop here and there's almost zero lines of code mutations subscriptions all that there's almost zero lines of code with our graphql schemas and our resolvers and all that kind of stuff um it's so interesting how everybody does it differently it's like a mcdonald's it's like a hamburger every single place you go it's just a it's just a it's a bun it's ketchup it's mustard and it's a, and it's a patty and it's different everywhere mm -hmm. yeah anyway yeah thank you everybody for tuning in we'll catch y'all next time all right good.